The Fanboy, Episode 74. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 74th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Um, so, you know, the, the, the vast majority of today's episode is going to center on my one hour and ten minute conversation with author Mark O'Connell. He wrote the book Watching Sky, Star Wars, Spielberg, and Us, and we're going to discuss a lot more than just the book. In fact, I kind of feel bad because we got into such a great conversation that we kind of barely spoke about the book. Uh, we spoke about just fandom. We spoke about so many things. But like, you know, you got to understand, he is a little older than me and he was there for the first boom. You know, we talk a lot about the current pop culture boom, the superhero boom with all the Marvel and the DC and the Star Wars movies and how right now it's like it's you, there's never been a better time to be a geek. But he was there when, like, geek culture hit its first big zenith in the mid-70s. He was there in 1975 when, you know, Jaws came out and Spielberg and, and Lucas and Donner and in the 80s with, you know, with Zemeckis and everything. He, he was there when pop culture became, like, this insane... It was the first wave of geeks taking over the world. He was there. He witnessed... The, the, the whole birth of this whole geek culture. So we have a very interesting conversation about how it's evolved between 1975 and 2018. We also just talk about some fun James Bond stuff and Superman stuff. And just in general, it was a fabulous conversation. And his book, you know, you know, I talk about it in the thing, but the book and this show, the Fanboy Podcast... If, you know, it, it, a lot of the similar elements are there where it's it, it's someone kind of putting pop culture through their own filter and kind of ex is speaking to how it's impacted their life and who they are and how they view things. So if you if you're into the idea of listening to someone who's really loving and passionate about his geeky properties and movies and his things and to hear kind of his story about how it shaped and molded him and where he was when certain things happened and pop culture references and all that stuff. His book is like perfect. But um, so anyway, so, so that's going to be the bulk of this episode because I don't have like a ton to say about the current stuff. You know, right now, what I'm most excited about is... Venom. I get to see Venom next Tuesday, and I'm very, very psyched for that. I don't really understand why there's so much negativity or hostility towards that movie. I see lots of hot takes about, oh, the CG looks terrible. Oh my god, I don't know. To me, it looks pretty great, especially Venom himself looks fucking amazing. Um... And you know, people get on their high horses and, oh, well, if it's not part of Spider-Man's mythology, if there's no Spider-Man, then I don't care at all. And I'm just like, all right, well, peace be with you. Uh, you know, I'm going to go enjoy the hell out of a Venom movie, which was done in the style of a werewolf movie with Tom Hardy and Riz Ahmed in it and Michelle Williams, directed by Ruben Fleischer from Zombieland. I'm like, what is not to be excited about here? You know, if I have one concern... If I have one concern, 
And you guys will find out all about it, how it played out next Wednesday when I put up my video review of Venom. I'm seeing the film on Tuesday. So I'm going to post the review on Wednesday. So we'll see if, if this fear is uh, founded or unfounded. But I am a little anxious about like the, the, the third act boss battle. Because it looks like one of those movies that I, I mean, right now in the trailers, it, it has the potential to be one of those movies that has a great buildup, getting you to really, you know, buy into the protagonist and his psychology and the performance that he's putting together and the supporting players and the lore. But then it's going to become just a big CG, you know, orgy at the end with a bunch of symbiotes beating the crap out of each other and throwing and yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I just hope that the whole thing doesn't devolve into some generic comic book nonsense at the end. You know, I hope that the, the action at the end is still motivated by story and character and that in general, it's going to be an overall satisfying experience and not two thirds of satisfying experience, one third generic comic book extravaganza. That is like my concern, but in general, I'm very, very excited about Venom. I'm going to catch that next Tuesday with Jeremy Scully of the Play It Loudcast. He's a new dad, and he does, you know, right now I'm I'm just looking for ways to get him out of the house. He's been, he's one of my oldest, one of my very best friends. So I'm bringing him with me to see Venom. So I'm very excited to catch up with Scully and to see Venom on Tuesday. I've also been, I've been a bad host. I've been a very bad, bad host, and I apologize. I've been totally missing my duties here of giving you a referral. You know, it's kind of my own thing, but on this show, for a long time, part of the show was me giving you your weekly movie referral, and I feel like I haven't done that in like three or four weeks. So I'm going to give you one now, and it is The Cable Guy. It's uh, directed by Ben Stiller. It stars Jim Carrey and Matthew Broderick. It came out back in, I want to say, 95, 96, back when Jim Carrey was still like just fresh on the scene after having his unbelievable 1994, where he, he arrived on the scene with Ace Ventura, followed it up with The Mask, and capped it off with Dumb and Dumber. I mean, who's, who had a better year ever than Jim Carrey in 1994? But um, The Cable Guy was kind of like this interesting detour he took, where people, you know, everyone was like, oh, it's, you know, why is he doing this? It's like this dark comedy, and it's so offbeat. It's not his brand or whatever, you know. You know Hollywood loves to put people in boxes, and everyone was shocked that he gravitated towards this dark comedy that actually had a lot of sort of like social commentary in it. You know, the movie sort of predicts some of where we are today with the information age and the, and the technology and kind of where we're headed. So I love The Cable Guy. I think it's only become more relevant and more interesting as the years have gone on. And it also like, it helps inform me Whenever like someone online is coming at me or, or I, I get these people who get very like obsessively upset with me about stuff and you got to realize, you know, there are people within our community who behind their veil of anonymity are actually kind of troubled people. You know, Jim Carrey's character in that movie is a troubled person and he does some troubling things and on the one hand, you look at him like he's crazy and I don't want this person around me and whatever. But he's also sort of sympathetic when you realize that he's got, you know, mental deficiencies. 
He's got mental damage. So rather than me take the nonsense that anyone, you know, that, 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 you know, right now they kind of use him as metaphor. If I think about the people who come at me and some of their outlandish online behavior, if I look at them and I go, you know what? This person has challenges. This person has sickness and this person's been dealt apparently a really crappy hand. So rather than be mad at them and lash out at them and curse and just go off and do that sort of thing, which isn't terribly productive, I try to look at it through sympathetic eyes. I try to understand them. I try, well, why are you this way? What is it that has happened to you that has shaped your psyche to think that this sort of thing is okay? You know, and sometimes I try to engage people. I try to see if I can change their perception or if I can clarify things that they're clearly confused about because there's lots of like weird secondhand misinformation that floats around out there sometimes. And I've dealt with these weird things where people just completely twist and distort how I feel and what I've said on certain things. So sometimes I'll go out of my way. I'll step out of myself. I'll kind of leave my comfort zone just to try to engage with people. And sometimes you have the same people who go, you know what? You're right. And I'm sorry that I flipped out on you. I had it wrong. And, you know, we're okay. And maybe we don't follow each other. Maybe we're not friends. But at least there's like a peace there. You know, so for the same people, I create peace. When I try to engage certain others and all I'm trying to do is just sort of like, add more to your knowledge because clearly you don't have the full story and what you're seeing is very myopic and you're very you're kind of missing the greater picture here if all they do is double and triple down on the negativity and the hostility and all this sort of stuff that's when i realize like oh this isn't about me this is about you this is something you're dealing with and i'm just the face you've given to your pain all right if that's if that's what you want to do that's what you want to do but that gets me thinking, though, about Cable Guy and all this. That's why it's this week's referral. Because when you dig a little deeper through some of these people, you realize that at their heart, you're dealing with someone who's deeply challenged, who's going, who's not all there. So why are you going to mess up your own sanity trying to get through to someone who's pretty much insane or at the very least so lost in whatever sort of insanity is going on around them that reason can't get through the dome. Um, you know, it's just important to know when to like let go and just to go sim you know, and go the sympathetic route and go, you know what? You've clearly been dealt a rough hand. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Good luck to you. I'm out. So uh, there you go. Cable Guy directed by Ben Stiller. Very, very good film. And if you love Jim Carrey, and if you haven't seen it in a while, especially if you haven't seen it in a while, definitely check it out. Because it's interesting how back in 95 or 96, they seemed to know what was on the horizon. They seemed to have their finger on the pulse of where things were headed. So definitely check out The Cable Guy. Uh, I'm also going to read a review. I always tell you guys, if you take the time to write me a review, I will read it here on the site. Right now, on the site, on the podcast. Um, this comes from John Ravensbottom. He wrote his review over on Apple Podcasts, which is where I suggest you guys all do it, because that is like the biggest podcast app, for better or worse. And John Ravensbottom wrote, One of a kind, MFR is the real deal. I was delighted to find he had moved on to bigger and better things after Los Fanboys version 01 was over. 
Love Mario in discussions, but really enjoy the solo shows. Keep up the great work, sir. Your sincerity about pop culture and your own experience is engaging and relatable. Great content. I mean, what more could you ask for? Thank you, John. And thank you to everyone. You know, in the last two or three weeks, I've gotten like eight more five-star reviews. And it's really just, you know, just thank you. This is this is pretty amazing what you guys are building here with me. And, and the way you're helping me to feel about all this work that I'm doing. Because I drive my wife nuts with how much time I put into this. But at least you guys give me a bunch of food for the soul. And you guys give me the motivation to keep doing this. Because it's very, very rewarding to get messages like that. And I get emails sometimes. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So thank you all very, very much for that. Uh, I also just want to reiterate now, while we're doing a little bit of housekeeping, before we get into the conversation with Mr. Mark O'Connell, that the Revengers Watch Party has been set for Saturday, October 27th. I wrote about it on the site yesterday, but just in case you missed it, Saturday night, October 27th, a bunch of us are going to get together. We're going to see Halloween. I'm trying to get it to happen at about 7 o'clock at the UA Midway Stadium 9 in Forest Hills. There's a million subways right on the corner, and the Long Island Railroad is right out, right, you know, a block and a half away. There's buses. There's a million ways to get there if you guys want to join us, those of you in the New York tri-state area. So we're going to see Halloween at roughly 7 o'clock. I can't say with certainty what it's going to be because they haven't announced the showtimes yet. But the second they do, I'm going to buy a row or two of seats. Um, and then we're going to have a little post-mortem afterward, probably at this place called the Station House, which is a block and a half away. Then the second half of the night, which you have the option of participating in, it's not mandatory, you can do either one or both, is you know my band is playing. At a band called, at a band, at a, a place called Blackthorn 51. We're having our big reunion show. We haven't played together in like almost three years. And my band, the boom section is back and honestly better than ever. It's kind of unbelievable. Uh, we got, we got two new guitarists and I'm just, I got to pinch myself every week at band practice because I can't believe I get to play with such talented individuals. I'm like, I can't believe it. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be a Halloween show. And it's going to be a sort of a tie-in situation because we're going to have some Revenge of the Fans merch there. I'm going to be dressed up as Michael Myers because it's the Revengers Halloween watch party. So for the show, I'm going to be up on stage in my blue jumper and my Michael Myers mask, at least to start. Um, so it's going to be a cool night. It's going to be a fun Halloween night. You can come in costume. And you, you know, if you want to do just the movie, it's 20 bucks. If you want to do the movie and the show and the after party, which has a DJ Cybertron playing and all this other stuff, you know, it's only 40 bucks for an entire night of a movie, a concert with multiple musical acts going up, not just mine, and an after party. It's pretty sweet. It's a pretty good deal. So if you're interested in that, email me at mfr at revengeofthefans.com and uh, I'll go ahead and put you on the list and we'll make sure that I have your tickets for one or both of those things set aside for you. Okay. And uh, I think that's it. Oh, and I have a special message for after the interview. Uh, I recorded it prior to this. It's nine minutes long. If for whatever reason you don't you're, you know, you give up on the interview or, or you, you know, just for whatever reason, if you're not interested in, in listening to it or whatever the fact may be, just go to the final nine minutes of this episode because I recorded sort of like a, just a separate message to you guys. I know sometimes you guys 
Yeah, so I feel weird getting so personal with you. Yeah, I don't know if that's like TMI. I don't know if it's, I don't know if last week talking about my abuelita and the experiences and all that sort of stuff, if that does anything for you, if you really just want the fanboy stuff all the time. But for today's episode, I made it at the end. And I'm going to try to make it so like that stuff happens in a, in a very limited sort of specific window because I'm not sure if that's really what you're here for. You know, I'm kind of focused market testing as, as I go. I don't know if you guys are here strictly for news scoops and analysis or if you also like hearing sort of my personal stuff, which usually ties in, but it's at the end of the day, it's my personal stuff. So uh, I have a personal message from me to you in the final nine minutes of this episode. Okay, so for now, enjoy what was perhaps my favorite conversation I've had since I've began podcasting with Mr. Mark O'Connell, the author of Watching Skies, Star Wars, Spielberg, and Us. So I'm here today with author Mr. Mark O'Connell, who wrote the book Watching Skies, uh, Star Wars, Spielberg, and Us. And uh, I'm really delighted to have you on, Mr. O'Connell, because, well, I think for a number of reasons, your book and my audience is kind of like a perfect marriage here. So thank you so much for coming on. No, no, thank you for inviting me. It's good to finally hook up, as we say in the UK, not, uh, not in, as we say in the US, that's a very different way. But no, it's great, yeah. to, uh, <laughs> great to finally uh, chat to you guys. Yeah, you know, what's great about your book, by the way, and, and in terms of the way it's going to relate to sort of my audience is, you know, a lot of what I do here on The Fanboy is I try to talk about how pop culture, you know, really impacts your life. It can really kind of help shape you and it becomes part of who you are and your identity mm. in certain Absolutely. very unique ways. And your book is kind of all about that, right? Yes. Yeah, it was, it's sort of, it's. I wouldn't say it's a memoir. It's not my memoir. It's snippets of memoir and autobiography. But I always say, with particularly with Watching Skies, it's a memoir of all of our childhoods and it's a memoir through cinema that we all had and you're right the, the movies do shape and mold and affect us um maybe they always did but it feels particularly our generation and those movies the star wars and the the supermans and the spielbergs they've really sort of become part of our sort of pop cultural dna yeah and it kind of feels like you in particular like you were there when it when it was all sort of born because for me the way I look at things and maybe I'm a little naive but when I when I for me this whole era really began in like 1975 with like jaws and then yeah. opening up the gateway to bring you know bringing on the, you know close encounters and Star Wars and Superman and eventually back to the future and Indiana Jones and all that like I feel like a lot of this stuff where pop culture became like just so very much important and so much of like the so so important to everyone's childhoods happened yes. in like the mid 70s right mm. yeah i mean i i actually end the book on jaws for sort of reasons yeah that hopefully re readers will see because i ended up on martha's vineyard quite recently for <laughs> yeah. good happy reasons so i end on jaws and when i did my bond book i actually thought i'm going to end at the beginning i'm going to end on dr no so I, yeah <laughs> i end on jaws but but you know the, the whole american new wave of 70s cinema the, the bearded gods of De Palma and Coppola and Spielberg and Lucas and, and John Williams. It didn't just launch with Jaws. There have yeah. been seed, seedlings all the way yeah. you know, from like from Easy Rider and uh, Rosemary's Baby, Bonnie and Clyde, and then obviously American Graffiti. Yeah. Look, American, American Graffiti is a Star Wars movie in all but <laughs> Stormtroopers. You know, you got 
You've got uh, all the characters sat in the cockpits of cars, bickering and talking and watching <laughs> at who's coming around them. And, um, and, and you know, American Graffiti is a, is a, a prime example of nostalgia cinema. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then that sort of fed into Jaws. And, yeah, we, it, it, it sort of starts in 75, and my book starts in 75. Um, and then from then on to about 84, 85, that 10-year window of key films. And I don't think it's just that my nostalgia or, or our rose-tinted glasses looking backwards, I, I think there was a hell of a lot of big movies that let in a lot of cinematic lights in, in that era. You know, Raiders, I mean, we know what they are, but Raiders, E.T., Poltergeist, Gremlins, Jaws, uh, Close Encounters, they all just, in different ways at different times, just, I think, created the DNA and the confines of, of the cinema and possibly the pop-cultural world we have now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel like you're, uh, all the seeds were planted then, and now we're kind of living in the afterglow of that. But it's funny that you mentioned, like, you know, the bearded gods. Because I remember growing up, like, as a kid, George Lucas was a god. He was a genius. He was the architect. He was the mastermind, you know. And then the, the, then the prequels happened, and all of a sudden you notice this flip. And all of a sudden in, in the last 15 years or so, now he's become almost like this weird sort of like punchline and everyone likes to take shots at him and the prequels yeah. and they question and they deride and demean and belittle. And I and, and that's kind of like the, the, the flip side now. Like I feel like the pendulum has sort of swung in the opposite direction in very unfortunate ways where now it's like rather than looking up to these people as, you know, as you said, the bearded gods, now we're looking to like tear them down and going, you know, if you didn't do this exactly the way I wanted you to, now you're no good and you're a hack and you've ruined my childhood. And I guess yeah. I kind of wanted to ask you about that, you know, because it's a topic I've been discussing here on the show a lot lately. And I think it's something you're going to have like, you know, some good insights on. Like, has this, did you feel like that sort of thing has gotten worse over the last, yes. you know, has it? Yeah, because I, yes. I, I wasn't sure if maybe this was just me looking at you. I was born in 83. So a lot of my knowledge about stuff prior to that is hearing about it from my father and watching documentaries and whatnot. But you lived it. So I wanted mm. to know, like, as someone who's kind of seen the birth of this sort of culture and see where it is today, has it changed? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It has. I mean, just as a starting point. As kids, we knew the name of George Lucas. You know, when I was age seven and eight, I knew the name Spielberg. I'm not sure my seven-year-old godkids would know the name of James Gunn or Kevin Feige or any of the or That's Zack true, Snyder yeah. or any of those guys. I mean, what Lucas and Spielberg did, we know this. They elevated their their names. Not that that was their plan, but they they elevated their status and their brand to sort of you know the levels of rate. As, as, as trademark names, Reagan, Atari, the Space Shuttle, NASA, Dynasty, Dallas, the A-Team, they were, they were up there. They were, they were such parlance of our, of our sort of pop culture and just world, full stop. So to then move on to see, you know, particularly George Lucas get, you know, it is like one of those sort of statues you see, you know, in sort of Cold War post-Glasnost Russia being hacked to the ground and I, I just think it's so it's so horrible it, it is basically horrible and it's utterly naive and I, I I've been thinking a lot about this obviously since I've been on the sort of the the promotional uh, side of yeah. uh, watching skies and I just you, know, you start to think what, what is this nostalgia and then I suddenly clicked the other day actually and I suddenly realized I don't want to go into politics for, for all obvious <laughs> orange face yeah. reasons but <laughs> nostalgia we are 
I think pop culture's always had an element of nostalgia about it. If you look at you know the movies of the seventies, The yeah. Sting, Godfather, there was uh, you know there was uh, under American Graffiti there was a sort of interest in different decades, different eras. Um, but nostalgia it it. It, it can go one of two ways. It can be f- fondly remembering a movie or it can be badly misframing our own nation's past and what uh. it should and, and trying to shape its future based on its past. And all like I won't make uh, assumptions about the American sort of political psyche, but I would say that in Britain with this whole Brexit sort of catastrophe and naivety, it's it came from a real no- nostalgic view of a Britain that never existed. So. So, so when fans do it, taking it back to sort of movies, when fans do it, you know, you're not going to get a Star Wars movie uh, have the impact or have the creative brushstrokes that A New Hope had or or Empire Strikes Back had. They were they were made in very different eras of production, very yeah. different eras of exhibition and and movie consumption. Um, I, I actually think one of the beautiful sort of traits and and beats of Force Awakens is it, it, it oddly and it wasn't just because it was a, a slight reheat of some of the themes and stories we've seen already it was that it had that sort of analog quality to it that uh, there was a real and I, I think that worked it felt like a Star Wars movie that came out in 85 that we never yeah. saw yeah um, and so yes the fans that there is this sort of massive sense of entitlement if, if I don't like a product its creator got it wrong and we need to take that product off its creator. Well, well that's not how the movies work. That's not how art works. No. You know, I, I, I saw some hilarious comments you know, on uh, about sort of recent Star Wars movies. I, I, I hated it so much I only saw it three times on the opening weekend. Well, <laughs> oh, well wow. you, you've, you've actually, you, your commerce, your dollar <laughs> yes. has sort of done its job. It, you know, um, and these films are not made for fans. They, they're fan aware. Yeah, Perhaps more so than ever before. You know, where you have all the comic cons and the panels and the discussions, they're they're very fan aware. But movies become massive hits, or or at least cover their budget and marketing costs because of what I call the general audience. I mean, there yeah. is no such thing as a general. Audience. Yeah, the movie the movie goer that's going to say hi, can I have three tickets for Star Wars? They're not going to say can I have three tickets for Solo or Last Jedi. They're just yeah, going to yeah, say yeah. Star Wars, and that's where these movies have their um have their life and their that's how they breathe and and how we get more of them um but yeah i i just found the whole i found it cruel and horrible when people were knocking george lucas during the prequel era you know it's it was his franchise he put everything on the line for those films his 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 bank balance his wallet his home his marriage um his company his his sort of standing in an industry that was important to him. He did all that. So he, so he's actually entitled to do what he wants with those prequels. We might not like every beat of it. Yeah. Um, yeah but th- there are some things that are not quite right about last, uh, about return of the Jedi and you hope you could attribute some faults to, um, it's just weird that we have this, everything's magnified. A fault becomes a massive problem. And it's, I think it's all down to social media, which is a great thing in the right hands. It's a, you know, it's that sort of Spider-Man responsibility. Yeah. Um, use it well. Because it, you know, as Alien said uh, on its poster, in space no one can hear you scream. Well, in cyberspace everyone can hear you scream. <laughs> you, should, you should be aware of that. I like that. I like that. It's interesting you brought up too about how like, you know, pop culture has always had a certain element of nostalgia, and you're absolutely right. A lot of those movies from the '70s were taking cues from things from decades prior, just like 
you know, Lucas has always said that he was inspired by the the the, the serials he grew up on when he was yes. putting together Star Wars and and Flash Gordon and all that sort of stuff. And you know, what's interesting though is like you know there is a healthy amount of looking backward and thinking of fonder times, and then mm. there's the unhealthy approach of looking back and thinking everything has to look and feel exactly like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when Lucas yeah. created Star Wars, he wasn't directly mimicking and, and trying to make a, a serial from the 1940s. He was taking that, putting it through his own filter and creating his own new thing. And now, you know, Ryan Johnson attempted to do that with The Last Jedi, where, you know, he just he put Star Wars through his own filter and through his own artistic eye. He created this film and that's it. You know, and you can love it. You could hate it, but you can't treat him like he's a villain and like this movie destroyed Star Wars and all this. I just, you know, it's like you said, the, 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 the sense of entitlement is really yeah. just starting to worry me. And one of my big fears, mind you. Is that it's it's we're going to start scaring off the very creators who could give us the next great classic. Yes, you know what I mean. Because who's going to want to bother after a while if if every little decision you make is going to be you know micromanaged and scrutinized before anyone's even seen a second of a teaser of the film? Because nowadays it's like you know if if a writer throws in a line in their story about something that oh and I you know I I hear that he might be making this character do this. All of a sudden, now there's 39 headlines half hour later about this movie is going to do this to this character. And now all of a sudden, everyone's freaking out about one writer's thought about something that might happen. That has nothing to do with the final movie. And the filmmaker is now getting inundated with angry tweets and concerned messages and people, you know, hashtag, we can't allow them to do this. Like, you know, there have been recent examples of this kind of hysteria lately. Yeah, something mm. happened a couple of weeks ago with Alec Baldwin and this Joker movie where he was announced to play Thomas Wayne. And then Boris Kitt of The Hollywood Reporter mentioned something about how, yeah, I hear the character's going to be kind of like a 1980s Donald Trump. And people lost their minds and suddenly that became the story. And it became, oh, Alec Baldwin, who does Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live, is now going to do a young Donald Trump in this Joker movie. And it's like, and then he ended up like dropping out two days later, you know, <clears throat> conveniently citing scheduling. Meanwhile, scheduling would have been worked out by then. That's total rubbish. Oh, yeah. And so was probably his unavailability as well it's it's whenever a, a new movie development hits you know hits the web that you know it happened with bond recently I, you know, I, I saw it with the announcement of the new director yeah that was all right sometimes these things are just very recently sorted but they you know these things don't happen overnight contracts no, and people's schedules and studio space and box office space and marketing yeah. relationships they don't happen overnight and often when a film is announced it is well into its production yeah you know, and for right reasons as well there is this clamoring to be told everything uh and if yeah like you say if one thing gets misheard or misframed it becomes oh i hate this film already i hate this film won't work that i haven't seen and will be out in two years it's sort of yeah. We never we never say that about anything else. We never say, oh, this pair of shoes that I'm going to buy in two years is going to yeah. be bad for my feet. <laughs> it's it's strange. And it is it. I can understand it. It does come back to that sort of these films and these characters and these these franchises. Yes, they were part of our of our childhood. And we, we do have that ownership and that sense of. Uh, sort of property over them, and I understand that. I totally get that. I don't want to see a bad Star Wars movie. No, I don't want to see a. I don't want to see a mediocre Star Wars movie. Um, and yeah, it's it's. I. I mean, 
also, and I've got to be careful here, but it just it so often just displays a real naivety about how art works and how creativity yeah. works. And yeah. um, I always say to people knocking the Star Wars films or the, the Bond movies or Superman, movies, I say, you produce a film, you produce a franchise movie, you do it, you go on, here you go, I'll give you the money and you do it. You, yeah. you take that pressure. Or better still, go away and just write a one minute film and shoot it on your phone and edit it and see what goes into it see what how things don't always happen the way you'd like you that you have to settle you know that scene won't involve that actor because actually that actor had to go home and see and t take his kid to uh, soccer practice or something yeah the, the same realities that affect uh, all of our lives affect even even affect the movies even affect people like kathleen kennedy who have to sort of go home and do things and not everything gets the set. You know, these people do not spend as much time poring over their films as the fans do, or some yeah. of the fans do. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I, I almost, th I almost see it as like an extension of what's happened, even just with news. You know, with like the the twenty four seven news cycle that's begun in the last fifteen to twenty years with all the other with the yeah. news networks, where it's like now we just need to find ways to fill those hours. You know, the news cycle can never be quiet. So now every tiny bit of minutia is scrutinized, and that's why, like on my site, I've kind of made a, I've kind of made a, a rule with my with my writers that we're not going to cover things that are sheerly like insider technical details, like the results of a test screening and yes. stuff like that. Like nobody needs to know about that. That is for industry people. That's for the producers to know and the directors to know, and for them to figure out what to do. There shouldn't be headlines letting a bunch of people who have no idea about the filmmaking process. No, the test screening results, you know, just, yes. just for example, I just feel like, you know, we get out into the weeds a lot with all of the little things that we cover and now suddenly everyone's an expert and everyone knows everything about every movie and everyone just knows best. And it worries me because, you, know, you know, to kind of circle back to Alec Baldwin, I feel like that's where things are going to start happening more often, where more and more people are going to start just going, I don't want to bother with this. You know, this is supposed to be fun. You know, I mm. signed on to do a movie and it's a cool character or whatever, but now I'm getting all this hate for it. And there's yeah, all this sort of irrational concern and fear and boycotting. Like, why am I doing this? Even like with Ruby Rose being cast as Batwoman, you know, a month or two ago. And then she had to leave social media because she was getting all this abuse online. It's like, what is going on? No, I know. It's like uh, Scarlett Hansen was was circling a project where she'd be playing a trans character. Yes. And, and you know, all right, this is like you know, different politics. But it's like yeah. the same thing of, oh, no, we can't have this. And I... And I, I've got lots of opinions on, I, I don't, you know, some of the best LGBT movies, you know, Philadelphia, for example, yeah. uh, have been, have pushed and moved on gay issues th uh, through cinema more appropriately than perhaps if Tom Hanks hadn't been in that movie, as an example. So I, I, I didn't read the whole story and gauge it that well. Yeah. But yeah, Scarlett Hansen sort of leaving a production because of the just the sort of hate tags or the you know the hash hate tags was just it's just terrible and it's a real misuse of technology we've got this amazing thing called social media and, and you know it does make us more social you and i are talking across continents right yeah, now yeah. and uh, i can talk to my australian cousin and my friends who are in holiday on in greece on holiday i can do that and i i probably have more conversations about the movies with american and australian pals than i do my you know people across the street <laughs> you know and that that's maybe yeah. says more about me than them but 
we sh- but we, it comes a responsibility. You know, as the Spider-Man mantra is, with great power, great social media power, comes a responsibility. And I just wish some people would just back off, you know, back off and just enjoy the product. If you didn't like that film, guess what? There's going to be another movie out on Friday and another two next week. You know, there's going to be more movies. I get the passion, but I don't understand the, the rudeness and with, with Kelly Marie Tran as well. in yeah. Last Jedi. That, that was, that was not just, Oh, I didn't like her character and some of her lines that was sexist. That was xenophobic in a, you know, I, I, I've got a line at the moment. I say, that's okay. 2018 isn't for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And even what's going on, you know, like, it, it, you know, something I've been writing about lately too is what's going on with Zack Snyder, who you know, he made Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, mm. and the amount of abuse that man's had to deal with. I mean, people were cheering when he got dumped off Justice League, even though the article that announced it mentioned that he was leaving because his daughter had committed suicide. Yes, and people and are he, still. He actually, and he carried on as well. I believe he he tried to work through that and keep the movie going yeah he, he, he put his hand in the air and said i can't and i i utterly you know i felt my god he actually carried on this didn't happen last week this happened months before and he still yeah. carried a big project and yes and like you say for people to come and round up on him like sort of it's like the birds it's like the, you know, it, yeah it's just gone. hideous it's hideous it's like yeah, it's like all those birds are coming around the climbing frame and they're gonna start pecking you know twitter is very much like the birds sometimes the irony is is sort of beyond a lot of people yeah <laughs> it's true though it really is and that's why i like you know i i can't take credit for this line or this observation but i can only hope that it's true somebody i know i on twitter somewhere ironically said that i hope that you know maybe five ten years from now we look back on twitter the way we currently look at smoking cigarettes you know what i mean it's this thing where it's like you know it, it, we let we loved it for a time we realized it's bad for us and we like we we backpedaled on it and now it's not you know it's not cool anymore now it's it's frowned upon to do the stuff we used to do on twitter you know what I yeah mean? yeah when presidents can change i don't know if the, the course of history has been changed by certain presidents certain tweets we, time will tell but yeah. when it's used in that way and I don't want to be political. I'm not. You know, I, I, there are both sides. Just speak your mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Twitter for someone like Mr. Trump, Twitter is the ideal place because he can get instant exposure with the smallest amount of creativity and the smallest amount of thinking. And adding capital letters that you don't need is not going to make your point <laughs> any more more realistic and more sensible or in, you know, or, in, or intellectual. Um, so yeah, I I mean I think Twitter is a great thing. I love again just bouncing around things um yeah. I, I i look i look at it like a, it's like a flight departure board at the airport you, it's all ticking over and whatever yeah. was hot whatever was just landed a half an hour ago is now at the bottom of the board um <laughs> uh, yeah I, yeah but it also enables me i can i can see what mark hamill thinks about politics and it's and amazing cartoons. yeah yeah so that that's where it has a great great benefit but then if it's just taken and this, this sort of the sense of entitlement that fans have and the the momentum as well. And I one of the things I say in the book and I've been saying when it comes to the movies I like and um, the movies I'll defend, you know, I, I've I've defended allegedly bad Bond movies all my life. And I will def- <laughs> I will defend Ghostbusters three to a degree and I will defend <laughs> I will defend Supergirl 84 you know and i'll do it properly and i always say i'd rather when it comes to my movies and my culture i'd rather be a shepherd than a sheep so yeah. you know, if you like if you like a movie and i always also, why i also say also in the book is i don't care if what your 
if you don't, if you came in as a 12 year old kid watching Phantom Menace and that's how you love Star Wars, I'm not going to knock you for that because everyone's entry point is personal to them. And, and it's, it doesn't matter what film it was. It matters that you had an entry point. Um, uh, and, and, yeah, we got kids down their 20s who did play Lego Star Wars and the pod racing got them into and Darth Maul and all, all those things that got mocked and scorned in 99. Um, and now why? Also, you know, the prequels created finance. They created commerce. So they showed that more Star Wars films could work after a pause in time. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I always say just be just like what you like and be proud of what you like. If you like Superman 3 a bit more than Superman the movie, that's fine. That is okay. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, too. Like, and I'll send you a link to this. But I wrote a column that actually got a fair amount of traction and it gave me hope for humanity that people actually took to this <laughs> very hippy-dippy, lovey-dovey, peace-love and, and rock-and-roll message. But I wrote a column called, you know, Loving What You Love Without Hating What You Don't, Surviving yes. Fandom in 2018. I feel like yeah. people have forgotten how to do that. You know, you can love something without hating the other thing. You know what I mean? Like right now, like for example, people who love Marvel will then turn around and go, oh, but I hate DC and oh, I hope DC fails. Like why? Why is that have to, why does that part have to be there? Just love, I, yeah. you know, love your characters, love your thing. Maybe you know DC is not your thing, or your you know, that's not your particular brand of vodka. But that's fine. Why people feel this like it almost feels like they think they have to, like it's a given. Like oh well, if I love this thing, then I have to hate its competitor. It's like yeah. no, you don't. Yeah, we live in such binary times, and I don't know if we always did, and maybe sort of social media and and technology has amplified it more. But I, I, you know, I, you know, particularly in Britain, just in terms of politics right now, I don't know where I am because both sides are letting me down in different ways and and then you suddenly think well what else is there and there, there should be lots there's there is lots more out there there is DC there is Marvel there is there is lots of uh, other uh, sort of franchises and uh, things to get into and enjoy and I, I agree I don't you know if a film is good to me then it's done its purpose I don't care which studio made it or which yeah. comic book it referenced you know a comic book I didn't read in the 70s it doesn't actually have a bearing on me no. um at all. It, at all. At all. Mm. Um, now, I'm curious because you, you, know, you mentioned something before about the entry point, right? About the kids who got into Star Wars because of Phantom Menace. However, you know, counterintuitive that may seem to people who think the original trilogy is the gospel. You know, everyone has like their entry point. And what, mm. I'm, what I'm intrigued by nowadays, though, is like there is no longer, as far as I can see, an exit point. You know, like I feel like growing up, yes. you know, like like in my generation, I don't know how it was for yours and that's what I want to ask you about. But like in my generation, like I always go to this example of like the Power Rangers. I remember I was a fan of the Power Rangers when I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. And then I remember reaching a point where like I was like 13 and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of too old for this. Like I can't let my friends at school know that I watch it. Cause they'll make fun of me. Like, Oh, you're still watching that kid show. And like, I feel like, you know, there, there used to be this, this sense of like, you, you know, you're supposed to quote unquote outgrow your childhood loves. But nowadays I feel like in the last 20 years now it's like, no, nah, screw it. Just love your, your, your kid thing. Always. You know, if you want to watch, you know, uh, my little pony when you're 29 years old and go out in your, you know, uh, in a rainbow bright t-shirt, go do it. Now, now it's like celebrated to You've hang on to San those Francisco, things. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like, yeah. But like, yeah, but like, so no, it's just, I, I just, I'm just curious though. Cause I feel like now we don't have to outgrow it. W was that always the case? Or do you know what I mean? How like, I, yes. you know, right? Like you I used have... to have to. 
I absolutely know what you mean, and it's a really valid, interesting point because I sort of see it. You see it with the comic cons and the big conventions, um, and I don't know. I, I think it's wrong to sort of point any fingers of why you're still doing this in yeah. this way. What I'll say for me personally, that's all I can really talk about. Uh, I. You know, I got into the movies through through Superman and Star Wars. And then when I was a little older, I wouldn't keep watching Superman, the movie or Supergirl over and over. I'd yeah. be intrigued. I'd be intrigued in Gene Hackman. Oh, he's in that film. Who's years? I'm going to watch that film. Oh, or, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Or he's in Mid- uh, Mississippi Burning or wow, the French Connection. That's actually quite a good film. And I was watching, you know, the, the flip of that is when I was a kid and I was 10, 11, 12, I was watching movies because you know, older movies. I was watching Alien when I was sort of 12, you know, way before I should have. And I saw Poltergeist, as the book recalls, way before I should have. Um, and it gave me a taste of cinema and, and I was able to step aside. I wouldn't say step away from my yeah. love of Superman, but it enabled yeah, me it to sort of step aside and evolve. And yeah, I want, yeah, what's going to happen? Um, I think actually maybe kids, if you're a 10 year old kid now, I see it with my God kids there. They're very into Star Wars. And they, they, they came to it through Lego. Um, and they're beginning like my eight year old God kid was really proud recently that he, he was able to watch Jurassic Park. <laughs> so he's sort of, he's moving out of the, cause it was just Star Wars and, Yes, he's graduated. Shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, I, I sort of, I feel I might just like sort of, I might be like the the bad old uncle that gives <laughs> the nephew the, the box of cigarettes under the table, or says yeah. here, have, go go to the uh, go go to the movie theater and watch that eighteen rated terrible film. Um, <laughs> I, I feel I should slip him like I don't know, Jaw, well Jaws not quite yet. Um, but although they they're aware of it, I mean that's great that ten year olds are aware of Jaws. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, it's that sort of a childification. I don't know. Um, yeah, because that, that, that's the thing, right? Like, it, it, it feels like a double-edged sword, right? Because, like, on the yeah. one hand, it's like no one should be judged for loving what they love. And, hey, if this gets you through the day and this, you know, if this property means yeah. and it brings you joy, far be it for me to ever tell you to not do it. But on the other hand, there is also a sense of, like, you know, like, I, I guess I, I like to look at it through this, guys. Are we perhaps, like like stretching some of these properties beyond what they're meant to be. Cause we're, we're almost forcing them to grow up with us in certain ways. It's almost like we're, we're, we're taking them away from the kids. You know what I mean? Like if some of these properties that we're, that we're into now were like the way they are now when we, when we were kids, we might not have gotten into them. You know, you know what I mean? Like mm. this sense of like mm. trying to mature them and like the Nolanizing of Batman, all that sort of stuff, which I think is great by the way. But like, yeah. but if you were five and you saw the Dark Knight, would you have become a Batman fan from that, or would you have been like, "Oh, this is some grown-up serious movie"? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just wonder, like, are are we taking these things that were meant to capture the imaginations of children, and suddenly turning them into adult entertainment? And is you know, I don't know. I just I I I, I ask myself these kinds of things sometimes. What, what do you think about that? Well, I. I... I mentioned recently to someone that um, Star Wars wasn't made for angry, 40, you know, men in middle-aged men. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's sort of, it is, you know, it's it's that age group and beyond own it. Um, yeah, it's, I, th- I don't think it's every franchise. It's not every sort no. of, uh, you know, cartoon show. Some things do just stay where they are. Um, I, I want, I, maybe it's just not there in the, the, the thinking and the, the, the sense of commerce of, for example, Star Wars, but I'd love to see a really gritty, 
bastard Star Wars movie, a real horrible <laughs> yeah. thing. And but maybe that wouldn't work. Maybe that's like there, a there Tarantino, this... like a Tarantino Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, just something a bit grittier, a bit nastier, a bit more bleak. You know, admittedly, I, I actually I think thinking about it, um, uh, uh, Rogue One, yeah, sort of sort of did that it, it, it was a very clever exercise in straddling the new and the old yeah and also and also the tone it was it was quite a sort of more mature-minded war movie yeah um but yeah I'd, I'd like to see you know perhaps a darker not a film doesn't have to be dark like nolan dark to be dark as well yeah um, it, it can be the story the twists of story it doesn't have to literally be brooding melancholy at every frame um yeah. But I, I, what I do think's happened, and I, I utterly get it, where you know we're, the human race is, has always been quite tribal. We like the idea of communities. And when I was a kid into Star Wars, everyone was into Star Wars. But I was, I remember being one of the few kids that really, really liked Superman the movie and Superman two. And you, if it was on TV the next morning, you'd all in the playground would be talking about it. But then that conversation would stop, and I wanted it to carry on. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't yeah. have anyone to talk to, and if I was, you know, ten or twenty, being a movie fan, I can, I can exchange my opinions online now. I can, I can like a comment. I can maybe hook up. And so many people become friends virtually through movies, and then sometimes, not always, but sometimes, meet up and they they have their communities. And I, I actually understand that, and I think that's a that's a good thing. Um, I just, you know, in fact, when I meet up with like Bond fan friends or Star Wars fan friends. Star Wars and Bond is why we're friends, but it's often not what we constantly talk about. And I think yeah. it's good that pe people should, you know, look at other films. You know, if you're a Star Wars group, go out and see a George Lucas retrospective. Go, you know, go and, a lot will, but go and see THX 1138 or, <laughs> yeah. or, um, or, or, you know, something that's sort of, or, or, or American Graffiti or The Godfather. Just, you know, just see what yeah, else. Yeah, look at other just, films just, just by around the, the people corner. involved with the project you like. With Ryan Johnson, go see Looper. Go see The yes. Brothers Bloom. You know, just that idea of like, okay, th this is the common ground. This is the thing that got you into this. It got you through the door. Now you're through the door. Go explore what else came from these people you admire, right? You know. Yeah, with, with the new Bond director, Kari Fukunaga. He, yeah. I saw so many Bond fans saying, oh, I'm very underwhelmed by this. This is not oh. good news. And I'm like, okay, tell me which frame of any of his work you've seen. How many, I don't yeah. think you, <laughs> you, you may have seen uh, True Detective, but you, I don't think you've saw Sin Hombre or Beasts of No Nation. Yeah. You're probably not going to give Maniac much of a, a look out. And that looks it's, great, by the way. I've started it. It's, um, I need to stick with it. It's, Visually amazing. Um, is it an acquired yeah, many, taste? I'm only three episodes in, so okay. I'm going to re reserve judgment for now. But it looks beautiful, and it's quirky, and it's different, yeah. and that's what that's what Bond, you know, thrives on when uh, when the opportunity arises. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's just, but yeah, this sort of I don't know is it in in I don't know what the word is where you just you sort of carry these things on. Um, but then you see, you, you, and you, what I think is hilarious, you see these Star Wars dads taking their kids to the conventions and the movies, and the kids wearing the T-shirts, but then the kids grow out of it, and the dads haven't. You know, that's, yeah. sort of, <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite funny. That's probably going to happen and, with my kids. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then dad becomes like all our parents. Are oh, you going to listen to this jazz album? It's like, really? Yeah. I, I didn't mind it when I was 12. but, but I, I Son, you on. have to sit down and watch Superman the movie with me. You need to understand why this was an important cultural event. 
Dad. And they, yeah, and they'll say, "Is anything gonna happen?" <laughs> yeah. Why? Why are we forty-seven minutes into this movie and we haven't seen Superman yet? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. I was chatting. Um, I got invited to uh, sort of talk with a group of Toronto high school kids, and um, they were looking at Spielberg, early Spielberg movies um, with their tutor, who's been doing great things with them there and um i said oh what about close encounters as a sort of film that we could look at and he said oh, i've tried it with them it's really slow if you're 17 and they, they found it boring i'm like oh wow i was like the, the air was sucked <laughs> out of my entire being um Ouch. and then it made me think my god is it is it really um but yeah, that's that's just yeah, but, that's but it's also a generational thing too because now like everything yes. is you know louder, faster, funnier. Everything is like a mile a minute. You go from one thing to the next. You need instant gratification. We, you know, we're learning to not have to wait or work on our patient muscles anymore. Now it's just yep. like if I can't get it right now, then I hate it. Mm. You know, so yeah. that's you know. It's like the, the whole teaser thing. I, I just was sort of catching up on uh, Dark Phoenix as yeah. the, the, the teasers hit. And I'm like, there's a teaser for a teaser? <laughs> it's like, watch the teaser for the teaser. And I'm like, oh, God. And yeah. it, it goes back to this filling up you know, yeah, we news need content. channel space. We need content. We need, we need clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's just I'm not going to be the old man sat in the rocking chair moaning at automobiles going past saying I preferred it when it was just horses. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to do that. I think platforms like Netflix has just changed my viewing habits um, in a great way, just as an example. Yeah. And I think we have great access to content, good movies. You know, part of watching Skies looks, you know, it sort of shares the the lament of not having these movies around us all the time. You know, E.T. didn't wasn't available for eight years uh, when it first came out. Uh, well, yeah. it was the most. So, so we didn't have these films around us. You know, sort of a Star Wars movie comes out six weeks after it hit the movie screens. That's yeah, that's great. <laughs> it is great. I'm not going to pretend it's not great, but that sense of event and occasion has made is maybe being diminished. You know, a Star Wars movie should feel like Christmas, not another Labor Day sort of long weekend it should feel like a like we haven't had christmas for five years yeah well you know i'm glad you brought that up because i feel like in general like we're taking the grandiosity away from things and, and then we could change gears i feel like we you know I, i've been harping on a lot of uh sort of pessimistic topics and we have some cool stuff to discuss but i just you know i i worry that like we're grounding everything. If we want to circle back to for a second to like the the bearded gods thing, like I don't know that we can even have you know an, a legendary filmmaker anymore, because even if they make a legendary film, everything gets so micromanaged and so scrutinized that like we have there's all these negative opinions sort of baked into the cake to the point where like no one can just be that iconic mysterious genius. Now everything is like the tabloid culture with the TMZ following them. Oh, here they are getting coffee. Oh, and now they went through a divorce. Oh, this one got pulled over for a DUI. Like in general, we, we've taken, we've stripped away a lot of the awe and luster and mystery and magic around the people who make these movies. And then, like you said, the movies come out on DVD, you know, six weeks after they come out. So there's no, we're not building any anticipation or, or patience for when can I finally see this wonderful event again? Everything is just becoming very ho-hum every day. Mm. The people mm. who make the movies are just average Joes and the movies themselves are just something that, you know, that, it just feels like they're no longer events, like you said. You know what I mean? Like we're stripping away 
what makes them special, which is waiting for them, thinking about them, digesting on them for weeks and months and talking about them with your friends. And, you know, I just feel like it, 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 we're, we're kind of making everything normal and plain. And can we even really have a filmmaker who is revered as the next Spielberg anymore? If all yes. we're doing is watching their personal lives unfold before us all the time and scrutinizing every bit of storyboard concept art that came out about their film a year and a half before they filmed it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's part of mankind's, you know, you look at our oceans, they're full of plastic and it's getting horrific. And, and we have such a sort of single use mentality these days. So All right, I think Jack that, from that, Fight Club. All right. I see what you're doing there. That can, and I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not, it's not my, it's not my big campaign, but the whole idea of movies being yeah. so, they, you know, there's, there's no sense of, we have to have it now and we have to own it immediately. And there's no sense of just walking away and taking it in, you know, um, you know, us Star Wars kids, when we left the movie theaters after seeing Return of the Jedi, we, there was that sense that it was special. It was elevated. Uh, we knew even as kids that it, it was a better product than perhaps, I don't know, Daryl or <laughs> some other movies that I can't think of right now, Starman yeah. or something. We knew it had some greater relevance, but we were quite happy to walk away and keep it, you know, keep our cathedral on the hill. We didn't have to keep having, keep visiting it. And I'm, I'm going way over my own <laughs> sort yeah. of uh, grandiosity here. But yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I think, I think the movies are part of that. Um, and I don't know what we do about it. I, I don't know if we, can do anything about it i just like you say where is the new spielberg i mean tarantino yeah tarantino kind of has that aura but it's also because like he's he's so reclusive you you only really Mm. hear about him when he's working on a film he's found that way to sort of keep the walls around him so that we don't you know he hasn't become just you know joe schmo on the corner to us just yet but i feel like that's becoming harder and harder and something when you think about it too he's already been around 28 years he's from a previous yeah. generation at this point oh absolutely so i yeah. wonder from the current crop of filmmakers you know the, the people who everyone's looking at the like the ryan kuglers of the world and the the denis villeneuve's like are we going to be able to keep them the ones, you know, the, the, those awe-inspiring filmmakers that we look to for years. Or, you know, Villeneuve is making Dune right now. Is another, another one of these, you know, fanboy properties that every, you know, that, mm. that, that people from that group have a very specific opinion about. Let's say Dune takes some risks. Is that going to be the end of the wonderful rise of Denis Villeneuve, who I think is probably the, you know, the, one of the best directors working today? Yeah. You know, in this current climate, I worry about that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're right. And I just suddenly thought I, I never, is it Jason people? Uh, no, not Jason people. Um, the guy that did get out, uh, I can't remember oh, his name uh, now. Jordan Peele. Oh, Jordan Peele. Jordan yeah. Peele. Yeah. He's suddenly becoming a name like Ryan Coogler. Um, yeah. and they, and it's great that these guys are coming up and, and, that, uh, uh, Jordan Peele might be doing uh, Candyman, and he, and I'm like, yeah. okay, but, but they seem to do three great movies and then yeah, we chew them no up and then we spit them out. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, then they, and I get it. It's probably, look, if, if I was a big film director and I'd had two or three sort of underground hits that gave me a status, I'd be tempted to maybe go and do a, I, I don't know, Starman remake or, or the long awaited remake of Daryl. Cause where is it guys? Where is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And, and I, th- I think it's also a little bit to do with the whole nostalgia thing in the movies. It's it is about commerce. It's a it, Hollywood's never been that 
adventurous in its thinking and its foresight since the day it started, you know, sequels and remakes and using the same actors and the same sort of beats and pace. That's, that's as old as Hollywood is itself. Um, but I, I want to see, I want to see someone challenge that. And you're right. Where's, where's the new Jaws? Where's the Spielberg who's sort of 20, the 26 year old, um, yeah. I was sort of, when I was writing Watching Skies, I was doing the research and looking at the ages of these guys when they were doing it. I'm like, geez, you know, even like Chris Columbus uh, was, I think, 21 when he wrote Gremlins uh, or something oh, ridiculous wow. like that. Yeah. Or, or he was he was young anyway. Um, and I'm like, what, where are those risks? Because they're, maybe they're on television, maybe it's, it's not in yeah, the movie Yeah, a lot of it's gone to television now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know what we do about it. I don't know if we need to do anything about it, but it's um, it's it's yeah, an I, issue. It's an issue, I think. And it... a... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go on. No, I was gonna say, and, and it's unfortunate too because like our priorities in terms of what we value and what we put stock in has really just sunk down to the ground. Where it's like, okay, someone could make three amazing you know, genre redefining films, and we have all this respect for them. And then, heaven forbid, in their personal lives, you know, they, they now they're going through a bitter divorce and a custody battle. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, all the armchair experts are now analyzing them as a person and reading into you know, the things that perhaps are, I mean, not perhaps, are none of their business. Yes. And now we all yeah. feel like you know, we have all this you know, access to all this information so we could judge people for things that are none of our business. And suddenly now they're not that great mythical figure anymore. Now they're just you know, someone you know, having a custody battle in court. It's just an example. I, I picked that out of thin air. But, you know, but just, <laughs> all the, you know, the, the information age has sort of grounded all of our, uh, our heroes, I feel, or has the potential to ground all our heroes. And that's something that worries me. But okay, all right. I'm tired <laughs> of... of, of um, yeah, no, we... we Everyone's we can't miserable. be the granddads. We're not the granddads sat on the rocking, yeah, rocking chairs, throwing <laughs> stones at the passing Ford mobiles. We're yes. not doing that. So let's change up gears a little bit. You know, so you know, I, I want to ask because I feel like you know, for, for people who love things as deeply as we do, and and for whom pop culture is as much a part of who they are and their DNA as anything else, you know, I feel like a lot of us have like that one property. That one character, that one film, whatever, that one thing that they most identify with. That thing that's just like, that's that's my spirit animal. Like for me, it's Superman. For my father, it's Rocky. For my friend Greg, it's Spider-Man. For my friend Jeremy, it's Batman. Everyone kind of has like that central property. And now you've written about a few things, you know, and I'm just curious which property or character is kind of like your, you know, your main you know, totem pole. <laughs> yeah, I, I crossed the streams. I was very aware of this doing the book. I'm like, my God, I'm, I'm potentially annoying a lot of <laughs> fan bases here. Uh, but I, as I say, be the shepherd, not the sheep. Um, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to say, Bond is Bond for various family and personal reasons. Bond represents home and family to me. But uh, films like Star Wars and Superman, they're like my childhood friends who I can still go out with for a beer and really get on with like like we haven't seen each other for like two days, whether it's two years or 20 years. Um, so I would say Star Wars after Bond. Star Wars is my thing. Um, right. Spielberg is a director, but Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back and Jedi, uh, they were the sort of. They were my moments. That was my era when and I you came also, in. And you also wrote a Bond book, right? You should let people know what that one's called because they should check that out. Yeah, it's it's called uh, – well, Watching Skies is a sort of prequel sequel to um, my yeah. Bond book. And the Bond book is 
called Catching Bullets, Memoirs of a Bond Fan. And it's a memoir through cinema. My grandfather uh, worked with the Broccoli family in Cubby and Barbara for well over 30 years. In fact, before Cubby sort of took on the Bond mantle. And, um, and Bond was always in my childhood. And then I became a fan because of that and hearing these stories. And I'd be sent all these posters from Cubby's office and watches and merchandise and uh, vinyl. How and lucky I, are you? Yeah, no, I know. And I sort of... I assumed everyone had that at that time, and, I, and that's not true. And I'd be fortunate to be invited to early screenings of the movies, and that's a family tradition that, that, that Eon and uh, Barbara Broccoli still very kindly uh, keep going for, for myself and my family. Um, and they, they looked after my granddad a lot. And I, But basically, off the back of that, I became a massive, massive James Bond fan. And I then, through things like social media, I'd join a few forums and... I was writing posts or reviewing a new film and getting a lot of traffic. And I thought I should do a book. And then a friend said, you should do a book and you need to mention your grandfather. And I was my grandfather was always fiercely private and quiet about his times with Bond. He was very also fiercely and privately proud of it and loved every second of his life with Bond. And Eon and Cubby and the family looked after him way beyond they, they had to as an employee. They, they looked after him until the day he died, literally. And... Um, I, someone said you've got to put that in, and I, I ummed and ahed. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to keep it. I wanted to keep that sort of O'Connell privacy. And that, uh, yeah, so I did that. And that's sorry, round the houses here. But that's where the <laughs> Bond book came from. And then someone said to me, "What do you want to do next?" And I, I sort of said, "Oh, maybe a Star Wars book, maybe a Superman or Spielberg." And then I thought, actually, to me, that era is all of those. Um, and I, I don't want to do just a Star Wars book or a Superman, but I want to sort of because I think there's similarities. Those films became important beats the the part of the genome of modern day franchise you know blockbuster cinema and, and still you know it's not just that we have star wars movies being made now it's that w- what star wars did and how it changed cinema is is still evident i don't just mean the effects no or the, yeah the story worlds but the idea of summer blockbusters and you know the mm-hmm. star wars and uh spielberg I, well lucas and spielberg i i I say a lot in the book. I think they emancipated cinema. My parents would go to the movies. In my generation, the movies came to us, whether it was through the toys, the the duvet sets, oh, wow. the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. lunch boxes, the sticker albums, and then the VHS that emancipated that's movies. That's a brilliant yes. way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's you know. So when we are desperate to have a movie, any movie, whether it's, you know, um, looking at my shelf here, whether it's Dancer in the Dark or X-Men 2, when we want to have those movies, it it, it was, feels like Star Wars validated that and created the commerce. Because as you, as you probably know, when these movies first came out to buy, they were like $100. They weren't cheap. You, you would rent them from the video store, but you couldn't own them. And then that, yeah. that sort of, that dropped. I remember when the Bond films would be in the high street and Star Wars for like 80 uh, pounds and that's a ridiculous amount of money. No one bought them until the yeah. price came down. So yeah, so that's why that's that's sort of why look at in the book. That's how it these films, you know, Close Encounters changed a lot of how sound is uh, is used in in movie theaters. Yeah. Uh, when ET is the most pirated movie of all time, to me that means it's the most watched at home movie of all time, which has some sort of social relevance. 
It's interesting. I, I never thought of it that way, but that's a, that's a, that's a phenomenal way to think of it. The emancipating the movies. I, you know, your parents' generation had to go to the movies. For your generation, the movies came to you, and now yeah. it's even like on steroids, though, because now if you think about it, for this generation, they could pull up, you know, Close Encounters or a Star Wars movie on their smartphone and watch it in bed at any time of the day, whenever they want. Mm. You know yeah, what I mean? Like pure... it's it's crazy. <laughs> The purist in me would say, please don't ever watch Close Encounters on your phone whilst coming home on the train or bus. But yeah. also, I'm just glad you're watching it. You know, I don't, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be a sort of format snob about it. Um, no. Like I say, it doesn't matter how you watch it. It's the, the important thing is that you, you have. Because yeah. a kid won't think that there's, you know, a 10-year-old who uses the, the portable DVD player on the in the back of his parents' car that is his cinema. That is his screen. That is his world. And, you know, there will be kids today watching, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp on a little portable DVD player on the backseat of their parent station wagon. Yeah. And they will become the next generation of filmmakers. And that's that's a good thing. That's how cinema has evolved. You know, Spielberg watched probably more of his movies at home on TV than the movie theater. Um, yeah. and, and look, that didn't do him in. No, any it bad. sure didn't. Yeah. All right, so look, so we've established now, you know, you've said that James Bond seems to be like your central figure, right? Your first love, kind of like the, the first, you know, pop culture sort of totem for you, right? Yeah, but I'm a whore. I, I see lots of um, <laughs> movie, I see lots of movie mistresses on the side, yeah. Yeah, well, I, uh, well you know, on the subject of Bond, though, because I, I want to ask you, since there's been some movement now with Carrie Fukunaga and we're talking about Bond 25 and all that sort of stuff, I'm just curious, you know, like, where should we go now? With Bond, because you know there have been lots of different incarnations, right? You know there was the Connery, which had its own vibe, the Roger Moore, which had its own vibe and was sort of more campy and over the top and whatever. You know, then Dalton took it someplace, and then during Pierce Brosnan, it had sort of like evolved also, where it kind of felt old school with Goldeneye, and then it went very like you know far with the Invisible Car and the Diamond Man and all that stuff in Die Another Day, to the point where you know the, the Craig era ushered in a much more grand bond where now it was like what if he was real let's 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 strip him of all the mythologizing and just make him a real flesh and blood man with feelings and all this other stuff you know and then you know i'm just curious like what do you think where should we go next you know should we continue on the sort of more serious path of the craig films should we maybe look back because personally i would love it if they kind of went almost like almost like a revisited the more era in terms of tone you have a little fun with it have a little you know make it a little cheeky have a bond there that has a little more of that swagger ladies man you know charm because craig you know his portrayal is very dour and it's very and it works for him but for me personally, like I would love to see some more fun come back. And I, I always think about the first Kingsman movie, how yeah. Matthew Vaughn was trying yeah. to channel some old school Bond, but kind of turned the the, you know, the 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 knob up to eleven. You know, maybe not going quite that far to the point where it veers into into parody. But I would like to kind of see it, you know, get fun and colorful again. But I don't know how. How would you, as someone who's followed this for so long, where would you like to see them go next with 007? Um, that's all valid valid inquiry there um I, first of all i do think daniel craze there's more humor to his bonds than you know a lot of us sort of uh yeah look at or realize there's little you know there's there is he enjoys the role you can see him enjoying it as much as he you know is 
I think the thing about Daniel Craig is he was perhaps the first actor. Timothy Dalton certainly went there as well to a lesser degree or, or rather to lesser success. Um, uh, Bond is a very internal character. He's a blank canvas and we don't know much about him. Um, so the, Daniel Craig sort of conveyed that. He, he gave that Bond a sort of internal mm. logic and world. Um, who knows where we're going to go next? I feel this could be Daniel Craig's last Bond film. Um, yeah. yeah. Roger Moore and Sean Connery had at least three last Bond films between them. So who <laughs> knows? Um, but if this is the last Bond film, I think uh, the House of Bond, you know, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson and the producers, I think they're going to, they want to give them a big send off. And I think it could be perhaps more of an, you know, a wider pitched movie. I have you know, I, I don't, I've got, some notions of possible, you know, that some countries. Who knows? Um, I think, I think with Bond, actually, um, although we live in times where you can't guess what's going to happen in the movies. You know, I never thought we'd have a, a another Halloween movie or, or we'd have Halloween two again, sort of 30 yeah. years later. Um, so it's sort of, we live in slightly odd movie times. Um, but I do feel that Bond has often been a pendulum in, in terms of tone. So you'd, you would have, you know, you'd have Roger Moore, the pendulum then goes to Timothy Dawn, then it goes yeah. back to Pierce Brosnan and we're on the, the Craig true. thing. Yeah. I, I wonder if we, I, I feel that if, you know, if Bond continues beyond uh, Daniel Craig, I feel we might have a, a lighter sort of sense of casting. Um, I don't, th not because Craig got it wrong. It's because no, I don't yeah, think, it's just time I don't think for a different flavor. Think, yeah, I don't think the producers would want to have another Craig. Yeah, they, they got they tried that with Connery. They tried to get another Connery with um, with George Lazenby, and it didn't work for lots of reasons. Although the film I think is the best Bond movie. It's not my favorite, but it is the best Bond movie. Mm. Um, so maybe we'll see. I, I, I people say to me all the time, "Who do you think should be the next Bond?" Um, and I don't know. It it tends to be someone that everyone knows but didn't think it's like ah oh, yes yeah of course yeah, yeah I, I can see that working can, now. can i bounce my left field suggestion off you since i just i'm just curious to see what you would think uh, only because mine are even more left field oh, but good. go for it yeah, go for it, yeah. <laughs> so you know, keeping in mind the spirit of like perhaps revisiting something more like the moore era just kind of like you know just having some fun with it again i would love to see chris hemsworth as oh my god right okay right you and i need to go for beers one day that's <laughs> he's one of my top three suggestions oh wow that's great I, I like henry cavill um i i think he's a hot dude and i don't mind him as superman he, he could be a stronger screen presence um uh but i often think with with potential bonds how, how have they played a villain how did they do that because mm. bond is not a good guy ostensibly yeah and i really liked henry cavill in mission impossible fallout i, I liked that oh character. he was phenomenal yeah, yeah, yeah. i like the, the punchy wrist thing he did in the in the uh, restroom <laughs> you're, I like the you're loading his arms yeah yeah and there's a great moment in that where they're where it's vanessa kirby tom cruise and cavill and they're fleeing and they go through this sort of man with a golden gun mirrored corridor and it looks so <laughs> bloody it cool it's amazing so i always say cavill but i think maybe his he was a very close second when Craig got cast, but he was yeah. a bit young and, you know, there was different different opinions. So I, I think Hemsworth is a really good suggestion. And I uh, he's the first actor that has to bulk down for the role as well. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And if they don't have a, head, a newspaper headline saying, for your eyes only, I'll be most disappointed. <laughs>
yeah. it writes itself it writes it really does it really does um but other other actors i um there's dan stevens british actor that he did downton yeah. uh, for a little while and someone like alexander skarsgård I was, I was sort of keeping an oh, eye on him. Interesting idea. I mean, he's a big, yeah. brooding guy, though. He's like six six, right? I feel like he would be a gigantic Bond. That's you can dig holes in Pinewood. Yeah, we'll, we'll, that's that's fine. We'll, we'll, yeah, it'll be the opposite of the Tom Cruise Alan Ladd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just wonder if we'll go a bit lighter. Not because Craig got it wrong. It's yeah, just yeah, that yeah. they don't want to. They want to be more reverential to what he achieved, and he's he's done. I, I think Craig has been the, the second golden age of Bond, um, genuinely so. Yeah, no, and I I'm, agree. My favorite Bond is Roger Moore, and I I think I've I've I, I did have I've had that chat with Barbara Broccoli once or twice about who would you have as Bond, and she gives me the very diplomatic answer <laughs> of um, she says I why look for a husband when I'm in a happy marriage? Oh well, uh, yeah. So it's... and I think yeah, fair yeah. enough. And then I threw a line back another time, and I when people say who do you think is the best bond and i always say it should be whoever we've got right now uh, mm. daniel craig right now is the best bond um and good luck to them trying to recast and move on um if if, if they do the, the 60th anniversary is coming up in 2022 you know they might want to honor that they might not yeah. um i think 25 movies is there's a sort of round number to that who knows i'm not suggesting anything but you know 25 is a good number to maybe have a pause on but we shall see we shall see yeah. I, I yeah i i have a feeling uh carrie fuganaga he might do something a little light i think it's going to look beautiful i think it's going to be a really i think there might be a lot more color in the film just looking at what he does yeah. um there's there's a lot more sort of prime I, colors I feel like no matter about. what this is going to be a beautiful looking bond film with him behind the camera yeah and he's also he's a, he's a He's written a lot of his own work, and he's yeah. he's shot, he's DP'd a lot of his own work, and I think that's that's an, we've not had that with Bond. Not no, only is he like no. an '80s kid, he's the '80s VHS. He's the first Bond from the '80s, you know, that was an yeah. '80s kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, sorry, first Bond director from who's an '80s kid, um, and yeah, I think it, it he'll potentially do really beautiful things because he'll understand the writers' department and their their sort of needs and requirements. I think he could potentially have great meetings with. Uh, the, t- the two writers that are currently working on the script because he's a writer himself and likewise the cinematography. Yeah. Now, hang on. So now, so you mentioned Henry Cavill. So now I've got to ask you because the big thing going on right now with Cavill is yes, he's being, you know, people see, are, are talking about him perhaps, you know, putting on the tux and succeeding Craig as Bond one day. But there's also all the talk about his potential future as Superman or if that is indeed over and I got to ask you, you know, as a Superman fan also, mm. you know, how do you feel about, you know, Cavill's Superman the, the, through these first three films? And and would you like to see him go on beyond this? I, I do like what he's done with Superman. Um, I, I often think how how Superman actor plays Clark Kent is as how they nail it. Yeah. And, and some of the TV ones have perhaps they've pushed more to get the soup, you know, the cape right rather than the glasses. Yeah, and I think. With particularly with Christopher Reeve and with Henry Cavill, they share a lot of traits. There is a sort of kindness to Cavill, and I think that's what Clark Kent needs. Um, uh, he's lost the Cary Grant, bum, you know, sort of bungling. Yeah, which I think is comedy. for the better, that, by the way. But that, yeah, but that's because we don't live in Cary Grant comedy <laughs> eras yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We li- yeah. Um, I liked what he did in Man of Steel. I think the film has a last act that so many movies do. It's just 
CGI carnage. You can't keep a track of the story. The story gets forgotten. The, the visuals, you know, big set pieces should still continue the story. Yes. Um, Sam yes. Mendes has got that right on the last couple of Bond films. That you sh- we shouldn't just pause and watch the Stuntman Trade Federation. Yeah. Their um, <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the, you know, I don't want a film. I think Marvel's slightly guilty of this. It, sometimes they feel like trade shows for effects teams oh, and yeah. the, the Marvel marketing sort of ambitions. Um, but I do like Cavill. I think I, Batman v Superman was, I didn't mind. I, I, I actually only saw it once at the movies. I, I bought it for my shelf here at home just go. because for completest reasons. And I will tap into it. I, I found justice league, just a weird waste of a movie and it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it hadn't earned itself. If we'd had man of steel two, and a great Batman movie, you know, just a simple Batman movie with Bruce Wayne already being Bruce Wayne. I don't need to see that family leaving the movie theater again and the, the pearls <laughs> yeah, hitting yeah, yeah. the floor at a Dutch till. I, I don't need to keep seeing that. We get it. We know what happens. Had they earned that? Had they done, you know, because the Wonder Woman movie did all right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Aquaman film looks like a bit of campy fun. It might actually be a good Christmas movie. Um, and then do Justice League. But they sort of did the... They did the group reunion before we knew who everyone was. And I found that it was jumping the gun. And also, DC shouldn't be echoing another studio's fortunes because they're very different characters. And and the reason we have superhero movies is because of Superman, the movie in 78, and I think Batman in 89. That's why we have superhero movies. And they were both DC properties. Yeah, it was a different era of DC and a different incarnation. I get that. But it's so, I think sad to witness that DC's struggling and scrabbling about and um yeah I, I don't as I said before I don't think we live in these demarcated casting times I, I possibly the Bond people will not want you know a current Superman if we look if we sort of took Cavill as the uh, yeah it's the case study I don't think they'd want to sort of share but I guess, that property yeah and I, I'm rightly I'm rightly so yeah yeah but I, I guess specifically though I'm just curious like because right now the big question is you know if he's done how do we feel about that? Or do you feel like you know you wanted to see where he would go? Or at this point, with the way Justice League turned out, would you sort of be at peace with him going, you know what, let's kind of rewind things a little bit. Let's reboot the character. Let's reintroduce him with a new face and maybe start over again since you know, Man of Steel and BVS and Justice League, all three of them, unfortunately, didn't necessarily position Superman in, a, in, in, in the pop culture sort of landscape in the way that we'd hoped. You know, would yes. you would yeah. you like to see like in other words, would you like to see them perhaps make a sequel that redeems him? Or at this point, yes. do you think maybe yeah. let's just start from scratch again? I actually think with just as a movie fan and an observer looking at this, I think keep starting again can be problematic. Um, yeah, sh- they should have some faith in something. They ha- they're not starting again with Wonder Woman. They're going full tilt yeah. with yeah, yeah, yeah. with nineteen eighty four, and that looks like it could be campy retro fun and I, I'm, I'm glad that that's happening in that way um you, you say they did give cavill a new face in justice league yeah. so, um, <laughs> can't argue that one but i i jest yes uh, i would like i would like to see him have his sort of man of steel uh, do you know what i'd like to see them do superman 3 as man of steel 2 i'd like to not a remake but but say sod it we Let's get away from the Lex Luthor broodingness. I'm not a big fan of the Eisenberg's casting. Yeah. I like him as an actor, but I don't, I don't feel Lex Luthor should be younger than Superman. And I sort of feel that. And Eisenberg, he's a, as I say, he's a great guy, but he, always, he often plays roles that are sneering and belittling the audience. And Gene Hackman never did that. Neither did Spacey. They were never sort of 
looking down at the audience and I, f- I feel that a bit with Eisenberg's Luther so why not come up okay. do a Ross Webster type a, a sort of you know an Aspen dwelling Trump you know make cast Alec Baldwin as, as a sort of gauche uh, Ross Webster sort of uh, Robert Vaughan type character and and bring back Cavill and just these films actually these superhero movies and Marvel's really guilty of this they don't let their f- superheroes often be superheroes we yeah. have the origin and then the big villain. We don't let them just... Uh, all right, I don't need to see Cavill rescuing kittens from trees all the time, but can we just have, you know, that that railroad you know, dilemma or that... that yeah. That, you know, that, that nuclear bomb is ticking in the Kremlin and need, just have a little bit more lightness of tone because that's why a lot of generations love those characters. It's not just the brooding origin story. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. And the villains, you know, can don't have to be so literal. It doesn't have to be, now I'm going to fight another super-powered villain that kind of has powers like mine and we're going to destroy things. It can be ideological. It can be, like, that's why I kind of like with your idea about, like, moving away from Lex and maybe having, like, a Trump-type character. It's funny because I thought about that myself when I was trying to think about what would be my ideal Superman movie. And it would be interesting to have him, have, you know, fighting an ideological logical threat trying to like you know like there's a corrupt president running the country and he's trying to like help you know turn the country around some other way you know what i mean and maybe there of course you know the the, the you know the, the evil president has uh you know can makes metallo through the homeland security i don't know I mean, that's just getting a little silly but the idea no, it's, of it's, like it's not actually because you, you just made me think of something that what would be more interesting for superman than having to perhaps tackle all this truth, sort of justice in the American way, and oh yeah, and that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just what if if the new threat is not the yellow school bus hanging off the bridge or the the threatened earthquake. What if it's it's something that's in everyone's home? Now that, that, that sometimes you know makes for a difficult story. Yeah, but it? if you have Brainiac as the AI, as like the Siri yeah, that's in everyone's exactly. phone and it's manipulating society and pushing us towards the brink of destroying ourselves, then he mm. has to find Brainiac and he has to stop this and it becomes more, you know, it's not just about fighting some other supervillain or, a, a, you know, a space invasion. It's, you know, it's Superman as an ideological hero trying to, you know, it's a fight for our souls. It's a fight for the identity of a nation. Like that yes. sort of stuff, I think, is way more riveting than what's the next big CG action fest we can have with Superman punching things. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Have a lightness of touch. Whatever people think of Supergirl 84 or even uh, Superman 4 Quest for Peace, whatever they think of it, they there was there was a sense of show and there was a tiny sense of camp. And I don't mean in terms of sort of gay camp, but, yeah. you know, you had, you had Faye Dunaway. All she wanted was some Omega Hedron ball that would give her power. But all it was was she just was mucking up one mid midvale town and and that you know abc done we we don't need you know i i don't need to keep seeing destruction of every city we never yeah. saw that we never saw that in the the donna film or even the lesters we'd, we'd see the golden gate bridge you know wobble about and there'd be sort of the grand canyon and earthquakes and those yeah those those tropes of superman flying fast against the grand canyon with missiles chasing him um, <laughs> i just wonder if we should in our in our efforts with all, with perhaps Superman and these big uh, superhero movies, in our efforts to move forward and keep them relevant, I think maybe we just need to take a step sideways. I wouldn't say step back. Yeah. Just take a step sideways. You know, if you look at what Ryan Murphy does, he takes the horror genre and he can make he makes it gives it a baroque quality and a sense of production and great casting. You know, 
we, we seem to have lost in these superhero movies we've you know the marvel ones and dc we've lost the art of casting there's there's no big name playing the the sort of cool horrible but quite brilliant you know we don't have the hackmans we have a cgi uh, you know yeah monster in, in justice league and it you know i shouldn't have to think who's doing the voice for this oh it's that british actor that was in that drama last week i should know that it's marlon brando i should know that it's you know uh sort of the uh, uh, hackman or, or yeah one of them. but yeah and I, I hope i'm not coming from a totally nostalgic no 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 and i agree though i feel like you operate. know like we we've lost our sense of scale and stakes. We're like you know everything is manufactured yeah. stakes. It's the entire world is at stake, or the entire city is at stake, or millions of people are at stake. And it's like it doesn't have to be that. Sometimes the the films that have the most intimate stakes, where the only person who's really in danger is the star of the film, that sometimes that feels even more important and more groundbreaking than when you're putting yeah. the entire world at stake. You know, and yeah, you know, I think yeah. about a movie like Logan, where you know what's really going on in Logan is not about the same the world exactly. you know what i mean it's yeah. just so anyway i you know i just I, I hope we can get back to stuff like that and i you know i i appreciate that that you know you come from 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 a walk of fandom that appreciated the little things like that and we got to just enjoy these stories and these characters and go on these rides without psychoanalyzing them and getting so cynical and jaded and and all this sort of stuff and that's why i strongly recommend everyone check out watching sky star wars spielberg and us it's available now and Mark, I just want to thank you so much for, for taking this time to, to join us on this episode of The Fanboy. No, I appreciate I really appreciate the invite and the fact we've done it. And yeah. I hope I didn't I hope I didn't lecture from the pulpit there, but it's it's, no. it's good to have an intelligent chat and look at these things. Because yeah. we all we all love them. We, they're all great, great we do. movies and and they're they're our cousins, they're our siblings in a lot of ways. But yeah. sometimes it's good to go on holiday without your, your siblings. <laughs> yes. yes. No, you never have to apologize. You you came and you spoke your truth, and that's what we're all about. So thank you for for sharing that with us, Mr. O'Connell, and everyone. Check out watching Skies, Star Wars, Spielberg, and us. Mark, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. No, we should. We should. Pretty good chat, huh? I mean, Mark's a good dude. You definitely got to check out his book. I'm really glad we got it to really sort of dive into a lot of that stuff. It's been on my mind a lot these last few weeks, as you can tell. And, uh, you know, one thing I didn't get into with him, because <clears throat> it's just a little more personal, it's a little kind of just uh, perhaps maybe a little too heavy to have with a conversation with, uh, with an author who I don't know that well. But... Um, yeah, there's something I'm thinking about a lot lately is this idea of the escape valve. You know, entertainment, these things that we love, the characters, the lore, the mythologies, all these different mediums that we're so into, be it comic books or video games or movies or TV series or whatever the case may be. All these things, they're beautiful. And that's why I always say celebrate them, love them. These should be the happy, positive corners of your life. These should be the places you go to to escape for a couple of hours every once in a while when you just need to unplug. And I'm, I'm big on that. But there's a caution because they are, they're an escape valve and an escape valve shouldn't be used every day or, or used all the time. Your entire life probably shouldn't be about escaping the present. I know sometimes the present sucks. And sometimes you end up in a situation and you're like, how did I end up? This is not how I envisioned my life. This is not what I thought it would be. 
And therefore, that escape valve looks very, very appealing. And the thing is, like Mark and I discussed, the escape valve is everywhere now. Now you never have to wait for anything. There's no delaying of gratification. There's no, you know, th th there's... There's just so many ways to be able to either engage with others about some trivial thing or to just make yourself go in there. Because right now in our pockets, we all have these smartphones and we can all just at, at a moment's notice, just pull it out of our pocket and bam, nose in phone, brain gone and nothing else matters anymore. It's how we anesthetize ourselves. It's how we kind of, you know, we try to numb our pain and we try to take our mind off things. And listen, you know, I, I, no one is more guilty of this stuff than I am. You know, growing up that, you know, I, I've, I've referenced this before, but like up until I was 14, I didn't have any friends. You know, the, the way my life was structured, the way things were, the, the culture that I was raised in, I was very isolated for a very long time. So I relied on my escape valves. You know, if I was home, I had my video games, my huge amount of action figures, I had my comic books, I had my sketch pads, I had my things that I would do when, all right, you know what, I'm bored and I'm lonely and things kind of suck right now, so I'm going to go off into my own little mind cave. And then I would take a portable version of that with me because I was asthmatic. I know I was very hip, so I was asthmatic and I had a fanny pack. <laughs> and yes, that's it opened me up to a fair amount of teasing. Uh, you know, from the ages, I, especially from like 9 to 12, during those like crucial heading towards adolescence and teen years, years, I was like, you know, I was a little fat kid, asthmatic with a fanny pack on him at all times. So, uh, yeah, bullies loved me. But in that fanny pack, I needed, I had my inhalers in there. And I had whatever toys I was playing with at the time, my G.I. Joes or, you know, Spider-Man or Superman or whatever, you know, X-Men figures I happened to be in a sort of mood about. I would have those in my fanny pack at all times. And then anywhere I went, you know, if I was ever bored or I felt uncomfortable or I felt like I had no one to talk to, which was a lot of the time, I had my escape valve right there on my hip. I could just unzip, pull out the toys. And now I can go off into my happy place. And the problem is, I got too used to that. And even in my adult life, that was how I would handle problems. I would just rather than let's have this tough conversation or let's do the work on myself that it would take for me to figure out something that's holding me back. I would just turn to what's, what's my new distraction going to be. And I feel like we all have that. You know, to varying degrees, whether it's entertainment, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, we all have that way that we feel that we need to numb ourselves. We need to dull the pain or take our mind away from things. And, you know, for me, I spoke about this a lot in an episode earlier this year about, you know, when I was talking about Ready Player One and why the metaphors of that story were so important to me. Um... But, you know, I just, I, I kind of got myself into a bad place with just always disappearing, always just not being where my feet were and not being present to really try to deal with things. And as you get older and you have a wife and kids and responsibilities and a home to maintain and a, and a career to build, it becomes increasingly important for you to be able to just be where you are and deal with where you are and figure out what's the next right action. 
And you can't do that if there's a PlayStation controller in your hands at all times, or if your nose is in your phone at all times, or if you're, you know, off in whatever thing is distracting you blissfully right now. So I guess I just want to say, you know, it's important to use our entertainment productively or positively. It should be a place you go to every so often or maybe for a couple hours at the end of the day. You know, just your your happy place. But try to avoid having it dominate your life because that is one of the things that we run a risk of now. You know, in the age of Twitter and Netflix and YouTube and just there's everything everywhere, it's all too easy to basically put yourself into a coma. You can, for all intents and purposes, put yourself into a forceful coma by just constantly floating from one bit of entertainment or distraction to another. And not only is that not great for you and your personal life, but I even say like society, you know, societally, you know, there's a lot of important, big, crazy stuff going on in the world, kind of on both sides of the pond. As Mark referenced what's going on in England with Brexit and all that stuff, we have our own trials and tribulations here in the States. There's a lot of stuff going on that you should probably, if you feel strongly enough about it, be involved with. And I feel like, you know, not to get all conspiratorial and say like, oh, the man or the Illuminati is controlling things from the shadows. But like, you, know, you got to understand the people in power, the people who are rigging the system, the people who like things the way they are and continue to sort of meld, you know, mold the rules and move things in a direction that only really suits them and screws over the rest of us. Those people want us distracted. They love this age that we live in where everyone is busy watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians and posting pictures of their lunch on Instagram and getting into little arguments about Marvel versus DC on Twitter. Like they love all this stuff. We're playing right into it because as long as we're all down here distracted, breaking off into our little tribes and fighting with each other. As long as we're doing that, we can never unite and we can never just be one cohesive unit to speak to power, to fight up against and rise up against what the corrupt at the top are doing. So they want us distracted. They want us like this all the time with our nose in the phones. They want us to go, wow, that's an outrage. I can't believe this is happening with my government. So all I'm going to do about it is share an angry article on Facebook, and then I'm going to go play Candy Crush. You know, they want that. We're playing right into their hands by delving so much into all of these wonderful little free distractions. And not, oh, they're not all free, so I, I kind of misspoke there. But, you know, all the multitude of distractions that are around us at any given time, they want us to get lost in that stuff. So, folks, please just remember that. You know, on this show, I talk about it a lot. You're going to the movies and, and, and the, the beautiful journey of you know, locking into the collective dream with a bunch of other fans and artists and creators. All that stuff is beautiful. Always have that. Keep that. Honor that. Really. I mean it. But don't let it be everything. All right? Just don't. You have a lot of living left to do. And it takes action to get to where you want to go. And you, the action is more important than, than the, the distraction. All right? I don't know. Um, 
I guess that's it. <laughs> I just want that's just a message I wanted to make sure you guys knew. Uh, everyone, thank you again for for watching this episode. Uh, check out Mark O'Connell's book, Watching Skies: Star Wars, Spielberg, and Us. If uh, you want to leave me any reviews or continue to spread the good word about the Fanboy Podcast and Revenge of the Fans and the Revengers and everything we're working on here, please keep it up because I'm trying to build something really positive for all of us. And so far, it's, it's, it's being really positive for me. So thank you to everyone. And I just kind of want to like put this out there that for someone like me, who for the first 14 years of their life, very, very important building blocks of a person's life, um, who was always lonely and always just wanted friends and wanted to connect with people and to find like-minded individuals, you know, you guys are a miracle to me. You guys are my friends. And that's why I, I, you know, when people thank me for like, thanks for the reply or thanks for taking the time to answer my question on Twitter or to reply to this email I sent you or to read some column I'm thinking of publishing and I'd love your input. When people thank me, I'm like, what? You're thanking me? Thank you. Thank you. All I ever wanted was to connect with people. And now through this, through speaking my truth, through following the things that I love and am passionate about, following my muse, I'm connecting with so many beautiful individuals and I'm finding out that I'm helping them somehow. Somehow my mindless drivel, the things that I obsess about on a daily basis, all my my concerns about Superman and all this sort of stuff that to me is just like, you know, it's probably silly, hokey nonsense. But you guys care and we're getting through this sort of stuff together. It's a dream. So, you know, don't thank me. I'm thanking you. Thank you for all the support. And thank you for making me feel like my words matter or somehow carry weight. Because that's just not how I see myself. And it's just, you know, it's beautiful. All right. So thank you all. And uh, until next week. Life is chaos. Be kind. Adios.